welcome to the First World Philippines podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to the First World Philippines podcast, and wow, do I have a very unusual episode for you. So for the third time, I welcome back my dear friend, author, Jonathan Hepner, to discuss his new book. I did not expect to dedicate an entire episode to this book, but the truth is, this book blew me away. Where lights meet darkness, I was privileged to be one of the first people to read it, is it a spiritual book? Is it a self-help book? Is it a, a wisdom book? It's full, it's full of those things. It's probably one of the best books I've re- I have read in the last 10 years. Truly something I didn't expect. It's, uh, at times, it's, it's, almost, whew, it's almost like someone is whispering in your ear. It's very powerful. It's, um, and it's something I felt that I wanted to dedicate an entire episode to. And I, I've got a chance to interview Jonathan in this podcast to explore the in-depths of why he wrote the book and how our listeners here can get access to the book and how it can provide extraordinary value. Uh, Where Light Meets Darkness, A Pilgrim's Sacred Muse by Jonathan Hepner. It's available on, on Amazon, but check out this interview. I know that folks, after you've finished, will want to go to the show notes and see the links it's got crazy reviews so far. It's this is going to be a bestseller. This book is going to change a lot of lives. I'm so excited that we're sharing this. This is actually exclusive. Huh. That's another one. We are the first ones to get an interview with Jonathan about his book. So I know it'll be the first of many. So take care, guys. Sit down, relax. If you're doing exercise, walking the dog, whatever it is, this is ex- another explosive interview with the one and only Jonathan Hepner. Jonathan is just released a new book which at the end of on the show notes for this episode, you'll get to see the, the links where you can get to access this book yourself. Personally, I was blessed that I was one of the first to read it, but after having lunch with Jonathan, I might have to read it again because maybe the, the version I had was a bit older, but absolutely, what an amazing, um, beautiful, very much different. I, I, how do I phrase this? I, did, I didn't expect to be taken... To be taken so much in by this mm. book, uh, to, to term, use terminology like poetry, visualization, imagery. Um, I guess me, I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to the, the self-help books, yeah. if you will, the, yeah. the classic yeah. and how-to, etc. Yeah. And you go with this book, uh, where where dark, where light meets mm. darkness. Yeah. Wow, it really challenged me. It really gave me imagery and taps into, I believe, a different side of the brain yeah. that helps you. Personally, I can, I can just talk to myself here, talk about my own experience, helps one get more clarity on their next steps on this journey in you, of this human, uh, this human story. Yeah. I think it's, people may label this book a spiritual book, but I feel it's a lot more than this. Yeah. You're tapping into the human experience, yeah. those insecurities we all have, those doubts we all have. Yeah. So I'm so excited to go into the details here, but let's take a couple of steps back. Yeah. Why have you written this book? Why? Uh, I think I think there's two levels. Uh, the first is slightly facetious, but nonetheless honest. It's 
to a large degree because um, there are people that I value and respect in my life who would not stop nagging me. Just write the book. So it's funny, but I mean, some of it was like, fine, fine, I'll write the book. Uh, so that was one reason. Uh, but it's something I've been wrestling with for a decade. Wow. Um, and originally, the, the book was supposed to be the, what I had all s sort of mapped out and framed out is I was going to actually write a book on the spirituality of food. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, and so the, here I'm going to talk about a book I didn't write, okay? <laughs> so that's what we'll do right now. So, and, and for those that don't know Jonathan's background, yeah. it's not just pastor, chef, <laughs> yeah, multiple, yeah. Uh, brewmaster, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. multiple different hats. So, yeah. wow, this is amazing. Keep going. Yeah. So the, the book was supposed to be Come to the Table was the title of the book. This was the whole plan. Come to the table. And it was going to talk about how the most fundamental way in which we connect in human relationship is um, in cultures, in family, is over the table. When we are eating the things that are important to us or that represent our family, our story, our culture, all those things. It's why, I mean, people will opt for pancit over well-done sort of multicultural food because of what it accesses in, in them. And so what I wanted to do was just sort of take uh, people on a journey of, number one, framing why fruit, food is so important to our spirituality, mm. but also give people tools as families, as uh, barcadas, as small groups, as spiritual communities to build and develop relationships intentionally mm. via the medium of breaking bread together food how do we what happens when we do this together so that that was the plan and it was it was it's gonna be awesome <sighs> and then um, as I sort of came down to it I was like okay I'm gonna start writing I'm gonna start writing I couldn't shake this sort of internal sense that uh, that wasn't what I needed to be doing right now. Mm. So I, I pushed that to the side and I went back and I just started um, pulling together some thoughts that I had written and this idea came to me that I wanted to, so much of what's written today spells everything out um, and it kind of treats people, I, I feel as a reader, as a voracious lifelong reader, I, get, I, I find myself frustrated frequently mm. with this idea that you can understand my life and tell me what to do because you don't know my story. I mean, it was, I mean, when I used to work with youth, that was always, you don't know me back off. Right. And, and that, I mean, maybe I'm still a kid at heart, but that was kind of how I feel in lots of, sorry, self-help books. I'm like, screw you. How do you know who I am? Right. That won't work for me. Um, so <laughs> sorry to throw you under the bus right no, there. Totally uh, <laughs> And so most of my professional life, so working with people and um, living in a Christian church context mm. and trying to frame uh, the message of Jesus and the message of what it means to be just a, a full human, life-giving soul in the world. I, I have found myself leaning more and more to abstractions, mm. to presenting principles and ideas and frameworks as opposed to answers. And so for me, I found life in the, in the world of the poet where 
let me, let me, I will give you an image. I will connect you to something that is powerful for me. But what I want you to walk away with is the right question, not the right answer. Because if we can ask the right questions, we will find the right answers. Mm. Right? And, and to me, that's the mistake that's, making, that's made on so many levels, both, I mean, when you watch the news, when you sort of watch the world respond to terror, and, and so much of the stuff that sort of just feeds our, feeds our feeds. Mm. <laughs> um, that was, I found that funny, but <laughs> fills our feeds. Uh, I find that quite often we're asking the wrong questions. Yeah. We're, and, and so we're coming to the wrong conclusions. Mm. And so I wanted to create a venue where in small chunks, bite-sized uh, chunks, to give people the opportunity and, um, and the invitation mm. to sort of unpack, how do you see the world? How do you understand the world? How do you hear the world? How do you, how do you move through what's coming? How do you sift through what's happened? How do you be present in this moment? And see it from all sides. And so, where light meets darkness, this book is, I mean, the subtitle is, is it, it's a pilgrim's sacred muse. Mm. And so, for me, it was just, I wanted to give people an invitation to sort of step inside my world. Uh, it's not a self-help book. It's not a... It's not an answers book. No, it's not an answers book. It's probably going to screw you up more than you already are, but, you know, I'm here to help. So, <laughs> I love that. I think... Before we get into, I would like to go in more into the meat of the book. Yeah. Um, and especially your choice for your journey. And I'm feeling, but I, I obviously I want your own personal story of where your frustration with the, let's call it mainstream, the advice industry. Yeah. Whether that be in business or whether that be in spirituality. Yeah, that's good. So like much that. advice. The advice industry. That's good. I've never heard that said like that before. Yeah. <laughs> that's my next book. <laughs> Takedown of the advice industry. <laughs> I want to talk about your own personal journey yeah. of maybe, let's start with vulnerability, your own mis- let's start with your own mistakes in leadership and why those mistakes perhaps have sown the seeds for a very different type of book. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on is John um, does not fit the stereotypical definition of pastor, and mm. um, not just his physical appearance. <laughs> He is a very handsome man, a very uh, interesting I think, I think the word you were looking for was sexy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those who are listening in audio, you can have to check out the pictures. Lots of tattoos. Um, people, perhaps a lot of my own team, if they didn't know that you were a pastor, would be shocked if I told, oh yeah, John is a uh, spiritual leader, a little what. So for a lot of people, you don't fit the stereotype. And definitely this book does not fit the stereotype of, at the end of it, you have all the answers. I certainly... I, I felt I had more self-awareness. Yeah. I had more clarity, but n- it wasn't like you were puking, ooh, puking advice on me, going back to hitting on the advice industry that I'm a part of. <laughs> Let's go, maybe you can, you, wherever you want to take us with this, mm-hmm. but wh- what seeds of personal pain with the, in the whole yeah. industry of advice, yeah. have you a bad uh, taste in your mouth that, that you made the decision, that, you know, when it comes my turn, to speak, when it comes my turn to write a book, I'm not going to make those mistakes. I'm not going to be that that yeah. uh, negative preacher, for want of a better word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you want to share us a story of where you got to a place where this is the direction you've taken this book, which is very different to, yeah. I would say, 99% of the content out there? Out there. Um, I, I can't remember last time, if the last time we talked a little bit about sort of uh, 
how I ended up in the Philippines. I don't know if we... Did we talk, we yeah, did we, we talked about that. Okay, yeah. so, so you can go to the previous episode, guys, to check that story out. Yeah, but you can yeah. share the check it out. <laughs> you can share the summary if you want. Yeah. yeah. Well, for me, it's it's sort of because we were talking before the before we started recording about some of my life journey of faith and, and experience, and some of, all of that to me, uh, it's all interconnected. Um, from a very early age. Uh, one of the ways that uh, my mom used to refer to me, she, she called me an old soul, um, meaning um, from an, <laughs> it's funny, sorry for everybody watching if I start crying, because this is just what I do. <laughs> uh, from the very beginning of sort of relationship and conversation, both human connection and both my relationship with the divine, it has always been very deeply personal. And so when I grew, as I was growing up, I grew up, uh, my parents were missionaries. Um, I grew up attending church regularly. Um, and from the beginning, I felt like, I felt I felt a call. I mean, we call it vocation. This is who I wanted to be. I wanted to be involved in speaking uh, to that side of the human experience. And... Growing up in the Philippines was very difficult uh, for me, which sounds reverse, but growing up as a white kid uh, in sort of the late 80s, early 90s in the Philippines, it produced a lot of sort of um, confusion. Now, I didn't have any ability or tools to process that. So as I launched into sort of my own, I mean, we can call it professional ministry, and as I became a pastor and started working with people, I didn't have the tools or, or the, um, the language to unpack half of what I was feeling. And so in lots of ways, I became the go-to um, advice guy. <laughs> I was exactly the person that people wanted in, in lots of ways. I, I could tell you exactly what to do and there was no question about it and there was no discussion. You just shut up and do what you're told and your life will be fine. And what I was not aware of um, was how much uh, shrapnel, how much collateral damage I was creating in the process. My intentions were good, but because of my own self-ignorance, I was killing as many people as I was helping. Not literally, relax. Not literally, there was no actual blood. Just emotional death. Can you give us, just so we have context, um, feel free to pick any example of yeah, 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 yeah. something that you later regressed that wasn't the right way to approach? Um, the very, okay, and the way I would frame it is so much of the Christian tradition is based upon a very black and white this is right, this is wrong. And if you do the wrong thing, you are damned to darkness and suffering. If you do the right thing, God loves you and nothing will go wrong with your life, right? So if your life sucks, it's because you suck. If you weren't sucking, then life would be great and God would bless you and everything would be great. Right? That's a very uh, lippy way of distilling the ideas, right? Um but, but I think in lots of ways, without being flippant, that's, that's kind of how I approached everything. If you would just do exactly what you're told, then everything would go well with you. And when people chose not to do what I felt 
or what I was interpreting, interpreting or extrapolating as the right thing to do, then I was righteously angry. And so much of my communicating carried this flavor of angry anger. And I, I mean, I hear it all over the, the radio waves, the podcast waves, the video cast, the vidcast waves. Just people who are supposedly communicating from a position of love, but they're angry and condescending and brutal in the process. And that, I would say, was quintessential me. Uh, I was loud, I was gregarious, I was intense. Um, and the twistedness of sort of the culture that I was coming from, that was glorified. That was like, oh, this guy is awesome. He makes us cry every time. Right? It's just like so twisted. Not good cry. It's more like shame cry. Like, I mean, in, in sort of the Christian culture that I came from, that was just sort of what was, that was kind of who you wanted to be. And so as I was sort of in the mid, in my mid-30s, um, I just sort of had this cathartic um, um, experience where I, I had some significant health crisis um, that completely debilitated, uh, debilitated me. It, it removed me from what I had always been. I could no longer physically manifest that kind of person that I was. Mm. And so in that loss, I began to reflect and look back at who I was, and mm. I began to listen and pay attention and, and observe. And I became very aware. Uh, I mean, so, so my sort of personal health crisis was this culmination of this sort of process of self-evaluation. I mm. just all of a sudden realized, man, I'm, I've been a jerk for most of my life and excused it under the name of God, mm. right? And so, you know, when we were living in Vancouver in the mid-2000s, I was studying to be a chef. Um, and I was an older student. Everybody else in the, sort of the, in the program that I was in was 18, 19, 20 years old when I was in my early 30s. And so everybody would ask me, what did you do? Like, you're old. Why are you here? What did you do before? And so... In that context, nobody knew what a pastor was. They didn't know that language. So I said, well, it's, it's kind of like a priest. So they're like, oh, you were a father? And so forever throughout the whole program, I was Father Jonathan. That was just what they called me. And for me, it was this transformative. I, so I'm going through this process of self-evaluation and being aware of who I was and how much I hate the guy that I was and not knowing how to translate what I found to be profound and truthful in that person, how do, I, how do I cut it away from the expression or from the cultural trappings of sort of Christianity as it was? Yeah. And I'm starting to be a chef because I'm trying to get away from this. I'm trying to come to terms. And yet all of these, every, almost every day, we'd end the day doing dishes in the, in the kitchen, all these sort of chefs in training, and without fail, they, somebody would say, so father... Uh, talk to me about this thing that I've heard the church say or this thing that I've heard people talk about. And the room would just go dead quiet. Mm. And they would wait for me to sort of begin to unpack. Mm. And it was this sort of moment, uh, moment of a collection of these moments where I became very aware that people really want to know truth. They really want to come to terms with truth. Regardless of faith, regardless of uh, 
so-called religion or no religion. Yes, I think I think it's I think it's ingrained in the human soul. We want to know what is true. Yeah. Right. And and so much of that is masked or filtered through or diluted by our pain, our story, our culture, our perspective, our language. All I mean, so many different things that sort of smoke fill that room, right? But I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you've had those moments where it's just all of a sudden things are just clear, and I just kept having these moments of I've been missing the point for so long, and so. So that process just sort of brought me to this place where I I wanted to contend for love. Mm. I wanted to contend for hope. Mm. I wanted to contend for for beauty and wonder and the sacredness of what it means to be made in the image of God. Mm. And I didn't. I, I no longer wanted to excuse uh, behavior that added to people's shame and sorrow and pain and horror and self-destruction and all of the different things that we see all around us every day. And I went, we, I mean, Trace, my wife and I, we both sort of came to this conclusion that we were going to give our lives to that. And, and when we made that decision, it was just this, it was this sort of internal moment of, you know, the sky clearing, mm. the sun shining through. And it was just this moment of, like, are you just really aware that, okay, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Mm. That when I began to read the Gospels, when I went back to the Bible, I recognized that the only people Jesus was ever angry at were the people like I was, the religious people. Yeah. Right? Who were trying to cram people into, you know, round square pegs into round holes. Mm. The only people Jesus was ever freaking out at were the jerks. Like I was. <laughs> wow. You're right. And, yeah. yeah. And so I, I just, I said, I said to Jesus, I said, Lord, I don't ever want to be in that camp ever again. Yeah. I want to be a person who contends for, for people who don't have anybody to contend with. Because yeah. when I look at the message of the heart of the gospel, the heart of the Bible, it's not about do the right thing so you can get in. It's about love came for you. Mm. Period. And that's kind of the driving force behind all of this is how do I create in whatever capacity that I'm living, serving, doing, working, how do I create a medium where where the heart of a God who who loves without end can be heard clearly, stripped away from all of the trappings. That it's collected over thousands of years, mm. and I'm 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 not alone in this. I mean, I when I started when I started sort of leaning into that, I all of a sudden sudden found the world filled with other voices who were doing similar things. They're just they don't care about when you do that. You don't care about um, promotion. You don't care. You just do the thing. You go. You do it, and you work, and you live, and you love, and you contend. And you breathe life everywhere that you can go. You sprinkle that stuff everywhere. And to me, that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ mm. looks like. It's transformative at the fundamentally core level. Mm. It doesn't care about adding numbers or taking offerings or um, building buildings. It just doesn't do that. Mm. 
to zoom out for a second, so just so that our listeners get the full context, if I'm hearing you correctly, for a long period of time, I'm talking about 10 years, you consider yourselves very much for a right-wing fundamentalist Christian. I, I'm looking for, you help me with the, the correct terminology, but very I hardcore. Hate, I hate that you're labeling. <laughs> you're such a jerk. <laughs> yes, that is exactly who we were, and I was shamed. <laughs> then you had this season of health issues. Was that the season where you began to question your past behavior? If I, if, or your past? Yeah, it was, it was a stretch. I mean, like, for me, there wasn't a singular defining moment. It, okay. was, a, it was a wave like that culminated in a, in a serious health issue while we were living here. But it was, it was just, I, I, I came to this point, and then I, as I began to ask the questions, it just sort of culminated in this sort of awareness that, and the, the sort of the, the health issues were the defining, okay, wait a second. Just everything became, just came into focus. Yeah. So if I hear you correctly, it was, it was like an ongoing spiritual dialogue or yeah. the, the battle from within, but perhaps it was manifesting physically in your health. You felt that? that well, I wish it was that. Because um, that would have been a great story. Um, <laughs> I was so distraught that it finally made me sick. No. Um, <laughs> I was asking a lot of questions that I didn't have the courage to mobilize. Okay. And when I got sick, it just removed all of them. Okay. And all of a sudden, I just became very aware that I, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. And so the unrelated sort of health issues that I had living here in the Philippines, I mean, it was random. It was weird. It was, I mean, I had got... The short of it is I got typhoid and dengue at the same time. Mm. Two months later, my I got an autoimmune disease where my immune system started eating my spine. So mm. I just had this sort of free fall for several mm. years of really sick, figuring out what's wrong. And it's very slow recovery. So it wasn't a, I mean, they were unrelated, yeah. but they ended up tying in very closely. Gotcha. So, and that just sort of, that moment of the being forced to be still and sort of just reflect on who I am, it just provided this space where I, things became clear. In that, that space where you're um, reconsidering your options, let's say, reconsidering your, your, your past life, was there a temptation to leave the role as a spiritual leader? Or was it was it the debate always focused on redefining that role? I don't know that I ever thought about it in that context because I never, I never um, sort of thought of it in terms of I want to be a spiritual leader. Hmm. I always thought of it in terms of if if I'm going to be who I am, this is what it's going to be, hmm. um, and so that's kind of how I interact with vocation or calling or purpose. Anyways, it's it's natural to me. This is where I belong. I belong um, being a voice. I belong contending for others. I belong in that spot. So it wasn't ever a, a, a wrestle of should I be a spiritual leader? Should I be a pastor? It was as I'm living out authentically who I am, what's this going to look like now? Uh, who's going to hate me? Uh, who's going to question my sanity? Um, 
and, and those kind of questions that those became the sort of the, re, the reality. I just became very aware that my personal growth and my personal transformation as I was discovering who this Jesus was was going to be very challenging for people who knew the previous version of me. Because, I mean, my best friend, Scott, he says to me all the time, I would love to have coffee with you and the Jonathan of 2000. I'd like to just watch that. <laughs> like, that'd be a horror show, man. One of us would be dead, right? So. <laughs> well, let's, let's play that out, actually. I love the way you're guiding me. What... If you were to go back in a moment of time, obviously, when I get asked this question, I go, oh, I would change nothing because all these experiences made me who I am. That's the yeah. classic, beautiful, very deep. But the, of course, there's a lot of things I would have uh, slapped my older self. And one of those advices I would give my older self is to begin this journey of, uh, if you want to call it self-actualization, if you want to call it deeper self yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my single advice I would give my younger self was start sooner. Yeah. Start sooner. I felt I wasted so many years being plugged yeah. into the system yeah. and uh, living with my own ignorance yeah. And, yeah. and living for self. Many years, just my primary motive is okay. Mike's entertainment. What's it going to be like today? Yeah. Um, so th that would be my own advice to my, my younger self. You can go back to any time. Yeah. Um, and if you're to have that coffee, what would be the what moments would you pick, and what advice would you give younger John? I would probably go back to um, like right around 2000. Um, I would have been, you know, mid. I would have been late 20s, um, and I would I'd come in with an M16. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, where's this going? It just blows that kid up. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, I would sit down, like. The thing is, I know who I was and I know what I would have heard. Because I actually, in reflection, had people in my life saying things I needed to hear. Mm. I just couldn't hear them. Mm. And that's why I'm just, like, so some of my mentors, like some of them who are no longer with us, I mean, one, one of my key mentors, his name was Dr. Tepiner. He was, he was saying all of the stuff. He was pushing me and challenging me. And I was like, no, screw you. I know what's better. I mean, 27-year-old telling this, you know, 70-year-old PhD that he's just, all right? So I'm just very aware that, and how I tend to see it is I knew that God was speaking to me through people. And I just wasn't ready to hear it. And so I, I tend to look at it with, with regret because I could have started but I honestly don't know anything that would have changed the stubborn, pig-headed idiot that I was yeah. other than time and struggle and confrontation and just exhaustion, right? Yeah. Just trying. I mean, it's my whole life. <laughs> I have to learn the hard way. I'm just stupid. Like, I just want to say, can we just do it easy one time? Just one time. I, just, I don't have that gear. I have, let's find the most difficult way to do this. That's what we're going to do. So don't do that. <laughs> There's your self-help. <laughs> There's the advice industry. Can we stop and cry for a while now? No, I'm just kidding. Reflect on younger Jonathan. Let's talk about the advice industry. Yeah. Because one, obviously one of the reasons I called request this, um, Jonathan, to return for another interview was you're so countercultural, mm -hmm. you're so you're, you're messaging, 
yeah. the book. Uh, I would struggle, although I'm a huge fan of uh, libraries and yeah. uh, bookshops. Yeah. What category will I put this in? <laughs> we, we love to label things. Yeah. We love yeah. to know we need to put it. Yeah. Let's put it in the spiritual because that feels like. But even then, it still feels like it doesn't fit. Yeah. And I want to be even. I'm conscious that when I introduce this podcast to folks, there's a lot of people that have very are hurt by traditional religion. Yeah, um, I put my hand up as being one of them. Yeah, have been hurt by yeah. uh, extreme teachings. Yeah, that uh, instead of bringing one closer, they have bringing bringing have brought people further away. Yeah, from truth. Yeah, let's say if you yeah. Know. And the po- the purpose of this podcast, of course, is not to give people truth yeah. but to rather than your help people ask the right questions to get closer yeah. to the truth I'm exactly. totally exactly. going to steal that, that line from you yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk to the people now that have um, and I think you're in a ver- very unique position mm-hmm. to talk about this subject because you yourself were part of that system yeah. you're not it wasn't just one individual you had a lot of people that were saying yeah Jonathan you're doing the right thing yeah. so I, I consider that more of a system of thinking yeah Let's talk to the people that are listening to this and they're hurt. Yeah. They're hurt by even the, the word religion uh, it creates triggers um, negative emotions. Oh, yeah. they've been, they felt betrayed, they feel hypocrisy, they feel judged, and maybe they're members of a, a minority and they feel that oh, this group is condemning me for, for my identity or whatever it may be. Talk to that group of people. And because I feel that this book is not for, is not uh, not just labeled in the, in the category of Christian. No. Um, this is for anyone. Uh, I would welcome my atheist 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 <laughs> atheist <laughs> friends uh, to read this book. They, yeah. they will get value from it. Yeah. My Muslim friends, anyone of faith. It's yes. not. Yes. It's, it's this is a journey. They were all on this journey of figuring out what is this human experience about. Yeah. So, long-winded question. I want you to give some voice to the people who have been hurt by that term religion in the past. And what would you say to them now about their next steps? Well, I know that um, in the years that I sort of came to grips with who I had been, um, I spent a lot of time going back to people to apologize. Mm. Like I probably spent, I mean, I still run across people today that knew me, the previous iteration of Jonathan. And I have to apologize. I have to, um, I mean, the Christian language that we use is I, it's, I have to repent. I just, I end up saying, I'm, I'm so deeply sorry for the way that we treated you and for how we framed, how we misrepresented Jesus. And so it's part of what I would say to anybody who's struggling with faith of any kind or they're stuck on sort of a unpacking spirituality and what does this all mean, and, and, and how does it relate to the human condition? I, I think um, there is so much value. I mean, and we, we talked about this earlier, Brene Brown has done so much for us in her study of shame and authenticity and, and how much of that is woven into um, the constructs of religion. Um, but I, I, I think what needs to be said is that all of us have to come to the place where we are willing to unpack 
um, the sources and the origins mm -hmm. of our sorrow, of how of what happened to us, of the things that people said to us, and the process of sort of reclaiming those portions of our life is in admitting them that they're there, mm -hmm. and then holding them up against what is actually true. Like so often, what happens in, in the process of sort of someone's spiritual journey is we throw the baby out with the bathwater. We just flush the whole thing because mm -hmm. someone did a bad job or a, you know a heinous job mm -hmm. of representing something, right? And, and there's there's so much tragedy in that. I I would encourage people to find a way to find a uh, a way of Bringing it into the light. Mm. You know, I, one of the one of the ways that I talk about thoughts is all of us live with pools of pain that we have exiled from our lives. Mm. We don't want to go there. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to be part of it. Mm. And unfortunately for us, the way that the the way we are wired as human beings is all of those pools leak into our lives, mm. whether we want them to or not. And it doesn't matter the constructs that we build as protection, they all fail. Because eventually the damn breaks. Eventually we end up subconsciously, internally, or consciously living out the very things we're trying to get away from. And so what, what I think love calls us to do is, I mean, it's one of the famous lines that, that Jesus often gets quoted with. I mean, uh, Greater love has no man than this than he lays down his life for his friends, right? Mm -hmm. or, or talks about, uh, Jesus is quoted so often about the talking about love and how um, loving ourselves becomes this huge, huge and significant wrestle. Mm -hmm. Because we come to grips with who we are, but we do so very often while we're denying the parts that we don't want. So, I mean, one of the great examples is so many people, we grow up, our dads aren't who we wish they would be, and we, we walk away with this, you know, we have father issues. I mean, this is sort of, it's, it, it works its way, its way through pop culture and stuff. But unfortunately, it's, a, it's an echo of what is actually true. So I won't deal with the fact that my dad was a jerk, and what ends up happening is it bleeds into my life, and I end up reproducing the same jerk. Or manifesting the, the far extreme opposite of that, where... I, I, I'm, I'm trying so hard to not be my dad, I lose myself. Mm. Right? And so that's one example of so many different pieces. So in our effort, so I, I've been wounded because of a, a spiritual leader who didn't know how to deal with their own pain. And so they take it out on everybody else. Mm. And so because I won't come to grips with what they've done to me, mm. now I'm going to end up reproducing the very thing that I hate. Mm. Right? And so when, you know, when we bring stuff into the light lay it out on the table and then we put the pieces back together and we, we learn the lessons of authenticity and forgiveness and and justice and all of all of the complicated pieces of the human condition. It gives us the, the building blocks to actually engage truth for what it is and be able to separate it from systems of belief as opposed to this is actual truth. That's the system. This is what matters. Mm. And I think, for me, this is why I, I follow Jesus, is because that's what I see in the life of Christ. He came and he challenged everything, right? And was fearless 
in his calling out of, you've missed the whole point here. You're doing all of this stuff, and that was never what it's about. And so that's what I, that's how I feel. That's what I want. That's what we want to do with the rest of our lives is, is speak to people who've been damaged and broken by failed systems and say, listen, that's not the whole story. Mm. And that's the beauty of the message is there's redemption in there. It doesn't excuse what happens, but it redeems it. Yeah. Uh, I wanna, I'm inspired by your, your answers here. And actually, myself and Jonathan had lunch together before this. Um, healthy lunch, of course. Yeah. Also and table. <laughs> plug, plug. <laughs> One of the questions I asked Jonathan was uh, advice on fatherhood. So at the time of this recording, I am, I'm, I'm on the way to becoming a first-time father, yeah, two months from now. And I was asking Jonathan for advice on entering that word fatherhood, entering fatherhood. And one of the answers he gave me was, because uh, I want to connect the fatherhood advice that he gave me to what he just said. One advice he gave me was to study my own parents, yeah. the expectations, because my framework for fatherhood is, whether I know it or not, is framed from my father yeah. himself. My, um, for my partner, my framework for motherhood, whether I, I'm aware of it or not, is framed because, well, who is my role model of motherhood? Who is my role model of fatherhood? So yeah. understanding those frameworks will help me determine, okay, what are the, am I conscious of what behaviors and assumptions I have? So I think that alone, Jonathan wasn't giving me an answer, and you know, the traditional advice, well, you've got to be home by whatever, or you got to, uh, that traditional advice, I didn't get. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't disappointed because you replaced it with a more better question of self-awareness. So with that example of parenthood, um, and I think all of us, all of us, uh, this is controversial, I'll spit it out, have been damaged by our parents. Yes. And that's not insulting our parents. Um, well, hey, well, let me say this. Go, me, add, add to it, yeah. Let me say this. You're going to screw your kids up. Yeah. Full stop. There is no way to not screw them up. Mm. So the, the, the most important gift that we give our children are the tools to heal and grow and, and stand on our shoulders. Yeah. So my best efforts are going to fail. They're going to come out of me having parented my children. They're broken. I broke them. Mm. Not, not because I was abusive or bad or mean or anything. I'm just... I'm a human guy. I did my best. And what we want to give our children is the courage and the ability to look, reflect back and say, I loved this part of my dad. This is the part he was broken in. How can I do better? That's what we want to give our children. It's, it's not be like me. It's be better than me. And we give them that by being authentic and honest and repentant and, and, and true to who we are. This is the best I have. Mm-hmm. It's not an excuse to not get better, but it's a. It allows them to interact with us not only as dad, but as my dad's a human guy and he's aware of it, mm-hmm. and he's given me the best that I've got. And I think that's the thing. Mm-hmm. That's the skill that I want to develop. It's I'm going to give you everything that I have, and I know that it's not going to be enough. <laughs> Ironically, because I asked my initial question before that was referring to people who have been hurt by spiritual organizations or spiritual leaders. And I just see so much par- parallels between yes, the absolutely. parenting journey. So 
for listeners out there who have been hurt by a parent, who, who have been hurt by a spiritual leader, yeah. however your definition of hurt, I think your response to that, which is not necessarily an answer, but more of a, I love that, giving people the tools yeah. to, to how you say, create more self-awareness from yeah. within. So they can admire. And I, so I'm going to ask a personal question. Yeah. And you yeah. can pick your mom or your dad here. Yeah. Can you? What What has been something when you reflect on your own parents yeah. that you have learned, and something, um, hmm, to use your word brokenness yeah. from maybe you can pick your dad for example, your mom. You choose where you've got this the best from your dad, and then it, brokenness you've learned to. Heal that brokenness from yourself to not pass it on. I know I'm butchering this question, but... Yeah, you butchered it well, though. It was a good butcher job. No, I understand what you're saying. Reflecting on your own parents. What are are you thinking? Um, So both of my parents are uh, from a very geographical, specific geographical region in Canada. Um... And both of them come from very specific expressions of Christianity. Conservative um, uh, and traditional um, all at the same time. And so one of the beautiful things that I would say both of them gave me was, um, was when you feel, when you sense that God has given you something you don't hold back, mm. regardless of the cost. You give everything you've got, and you go for it. Mm. And it doesn't matter. I mean, and, and that's, I would say, all of my siblings would echo that, that my parents' whole lives were, you know, full sail, into the wind, we're going for it, right? And some stuff worked and some didn't, but the, the courage which was they lived, mm. uh, I mean, I, I longed to emulate. I think the thing, and, and this is the cool thing, we've actually talked about this as a family, I mean, me with my parents, is one of the things that that they didn't have the tools for, I mean, they started young. I mean, so my mom, I have an older sister, um, and they started, they had her, my mom was 19, my dad was 18. Mm-hmm. So kids have kids, right? Like, what do you know? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm in my middle 40s, and I'm like, I still don't know anything. So what does an 18-year-old do, right? And so when we reflect, so we've talked through the decisions they made in parenting. Um, just um, the time they chose to spend, where they chose to spend it. So early on, my parents, I think they would both admit they were workaholics. They just, I mean, it's part of the cost of unhealthy passions. Because we're given everything, just, I mean, there was long stretches where I didn't just see my dad because he was just, working so hard Mm. and there was a there was a price to pay for that because Mm. I especially as a teenager I didn't have a I didn't we in in those teen years the the connection the emotional connection is so crucial and you can't fabricate it Mm. it just is done with time and so as when I when my kids were you know leaning into teenage years those are some of the conversations I had with my dad because I began to process some of my own pain and fear because I recognized that I was still paying the price of the disconnect and it was actually impacting the way I connected. Mm. Right? How do I make decisions about how I'm going to better 
uh, place value on time? How do I how do I make decisions to place better value on not just let's spend time together, but how do we create conversations that are that are not fabricated or forced, but they're free. Like, you know that you can talk to me. I mean, we see this play out in the movies all the time when dad comes in and sits on the bed. And it's like, you know, you can talk to me. You can talk to me. And everybody watching the movie is going, good God, he's never going to talk to you, okay? But, but how do you actually take that image and unpack that and say, okay, so how do we create the environment where our kids do want to talk to us without the fear of judgment or reprisal, yet aware that there may be judgment? How do we create those safe spaces? So that to me was a very, um, that process of just reflecting and and coming to terms with my own sorrow that I, I missed chunks of time with my dad and we can't get them back. So how do I call that, call that space back? How do I empty that pool of pain or redeem it in a way that is, reflects in my dad and my relationship or my mom and my relationship? And also impacts my relationship with my children. Was there a period of anger with your dad? Oh yeah, years. Just I didn't know why. Mm. Right, and I think that's the process of self-reflection. We all, every single human, carries it. There's nobody on the planet who's not angry at their parents. If they say they aren't, they're lying. <laughs> that could be a quotable <laughs> opening line of the podcast. <laughs> Angry with their parents? No. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> That's the way it is. Yeah. Well, this is really, yeah, this is really, I, I like where this is going. Going, linking back to the book. Okay. Um, you talked about, obviously, you were put under healthy peer pressure. Well done, John's inner circle, for forcing this output. Yeah. What did you learn about yourself Oh, but I'm deeply insecure, and I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> Open the door. That's, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Oh, man, I hate you. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, because because of the kind of book it is, it's I'm putting my heart on the page. I'm not talking about an idea or a self-help plan or, hey, let's unpack this. Uh, you know, I, this isn't... It's not one of those, let me display my intellect to you or my research. Those are valuable things, but for me, this is legit. Um, this is access to some of the core of who I am. And so like I was saying to my wife the other day, that it's, I was surprised with how deeply emotional it was, not because it's, it's an accomplishment, but because when people judge this book, in more ways than I could possibly imagine, they're judging my soul. <laughs> Nothing like making this heavy or anything like, geez. But but that's exactly how I feel. And so even the editing process was the critiquing and sort of making adjustments. That was um, I had I work had to work really hard to separate it's like listening to someone judge your kids. It's like, shut up, they're my kids, they're perfect, right? But it, but that's how I felt about the words, that it wasn't, I had never, I wasn't, when I wrote this stuff, it wasn't, I'm going to write it so that somebody else can read it and it understands. This is basically portions of my journal, hmm. right, that have just been adjusted for public consumption. Um, and that's why it was a deeply emotional journey for me, because it would have been much easier just to do a food book and put some recipes in there and go, yeah, bye, right? That's not what this is. 
Was it, were you wrestling with the fear of being so vulnerable? Oh, yeah. Scared to death. Because what if people don't like it? What does that say about how they... I mean, you know how fear is. None of it's rational. It's not... I Like, it's like I can sit down and analyze how I'm feeling and going, grow up, Jonathan. I mean, how old are you, 12? Like, this isn't like you're getting cut from the basketball team or something. Like, rationally, I got no problem thinking it through. But when I'm honest about my guts, mm. I'm desperately afraid that it just won't connect or... Do you know? Do you, and, and there's the tug of war of the sort of working in your head and, your, and being honest with your guts. That that it's it's all. I, I get that not everybody's going to connect with the style or the rhythm or the prose or the or the subject matter, I, and that's fine. But then on other days, it's like, what am I doing? What if they don't? What does that mean? <laughs> I have to go for some long term therapy or something. <laughs> So that's that's kind of why it was, it's been such an emotional process for me because um, this is you know born in love. Mm. Right. What advice would you give someone? Because there's so many people that uh, I forget the statistic was it eighty percent of people would agree that oh yeah I'd love to write a book, but only one percent of those actually do actually yeah. follow through. What advice would you give that person, which was maybe a younger version of you, yeah. that was in that situation that would say, to get to that end point, um, I can really relate myself to the journey, but, and you share the pain of editing, really is extremely painful. Yeah. Maybe the first drafts are enjoyable, or you're yeah. putting the structure or framework, yeah. but the editing is extremely yeah. painful. What advice would you give someone who has something a message, yeah. a story to tell, and yeah. who knows, a self, another self-help book, we need yeah. more of those. <laughs> yeah. uh, what, what, a, ooh, uh, what advice, <laughs> there we go again, what questions <laughs> there in our presence would you get them to ask themselves to make sure that this is the right thing to do? Uh, I think there's, for me, there's very quick things that come to my mind. Number one is... Do you have something to say? Mm. If you have, and, and for me, that's such an important question because when I'm sitting and talking to somebody and they say to me, I have nothing to say, what that says to me is they don't understand themselves. Mm. So anybody who wants to put pen to paper and articulate something that's important to them, if you don't understand how important what you need to say is, then you're not ready. Right? As you sort of come to terms with the fact that everybody's been given a unique voice and we need all the voices. It's when when that becomes clear and you get such a, a fundamental sense of, well, my voice matters. I, I need to say these things. Um, that's when the process of expression and the work that goes into sort of putting something that translates what's in you into a form that other people can sort of digest, that's what, that's what gives you sort of the passion, the energy, and the courage to do that. I found for so I avoided it for so long because I wasn't exactly sure what I had to say. I mean, and that's why, so some of the, you know, the, the Christmas scripture, in when the fullness of time had come. I mean, that's some, some of the beginning of the Christmas story. I think some of that's the process of creativity. It's 
creation happens in the fullness of time. You can't fabricate it. You can tell when it's been fabricated because it just doesn't have any authenticity to it. It doesn't have any soul. Yeah. Right? And that's what I would say I mean, to any form of art that's being created. It's, it's why when we listen to you know a band's first album and it's just edgy and gutsy and, and then you listen to the second album and it's like they said everything they had to say in the first album and now they're just trying to make another album. And you could feel it. Yeah. Right, and I, I think it's the same process of mm -hmm. coming to terms with what do I have to say, being patient with it, and allowing it to to become clear, and then committing to the work mm -hmm. of translating. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Yeah. Kind of like the start with why. Why am I doing this? Yeah. What's the what impact do I want to make? And certainly, for my own journey, self awareness. I know this is ironic. I refer to my own book. A part of me says, you know what, Mike, if no one reads this book, it's made its, it's already achieved its goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a this is now if someone who was very business mind find this would say, Are you an idiot? You invested all this amount of time. What do yeah. you what do you mean if no one buys it, it's already served its yeah. goal? What I mean by that is the self awareness and the accountability for myself. Yeah. Like I wrote, my, my book was on morning rituals. Yeah. Uh, my belief that's, uh, that, that's one, for, for most people, not for everyone, but for most people, the morning time is a wonderful opportunity to establish some really um, amazing success habits. Yeah. But I really believe that now that if no one ever reads that book, it's okay, it's achieved, it's called yeah. holding me accountable. Yeah. So because the alarm goes off, at, let's say my alarm, 5.30 a.m., going to be a hypocrite, Mike? That's the first <laughs> voice I hear. Yeah. Is hypocrisy. I wrote a book on getting up on time. Uh, <laughs> I can't sleep in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, how do you feel that this linking to that? Do you feel this book now that it's finally out? Now that finally people uh, can get access to this, how has it made you a better man? <sighs> I don't know that it has. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, better teacher. I can phrase it over how has it helped you communicate more clearly? I, I think it has um, it's focused several lenses in my life Okay. in terms of clarifying um, what matters to me what doesn't mm -hmm. matter to me um, so, so I would say that specifically the process has just sort of reminded me of, of values and things that, that are important to me, not in terms of like a value structure, but in terms of, yeah, yeah, those thoughts, that, that matters to me a lot. And it matters to me how it's said and when it's said and the rhythm with which it's said. And so I think in, in lots of ways that's, it's uh, sort of breathed new life into, into areas of sort of discovery and, and, and art and articulation that I have that I just wasn't aware that they were that important to me. Mm. So yeah. I, I think that's what I would say right off the top is, is that. Yeah. Okay. Last question in the book because we're yeah. coming to the end. I have a couple of uh, uh, random questions okay. that I want to ask you later that necessarily don't fit in with the flow but okay. it's okay. <laughs> so my last question in the book. What is your hmm I'm trying to. It's, I'm trying to avoid the classic uh, question the authors get. So, who do you write the book for? <laughs> describe, 
but who do you feel will get most value from this? I know there's a bit of unknown here. Um, yeah. Is there, going back to the our beginning of our interview, like the younger version of you, yeah. how much would that, who, talk to the, so there's different ways of a book. Let's say yeah. there's a first wave, there's a second wave, there's another wave that you didn't expect. What? That group of people yeah. would be, would read this book or yeah. this far left or far right group of people, they would find that? Yeah. Like there's a couple of waves that will surprise you. Yeah. But is there a group that you think, going back to the people that we talked about earlier who have been hurt yeah. by parents or by spiritual leaders or even in business, in the business yeah. world, yeah. Who, what, which wave of group do you particularly think will get a lot of value from this? I think, I think the people who will connect with these, these words will be the people who have courage to ask questions. Her. <laughs> uh, for the record, since Arabelle, our uh, beautiful videographer, is pointing at herself, distracting Jonathan from uh, yeah. his answer. No, I, I think that's it. I think anybody in any category, any, any level of culture, any sort of role, um, to me the category is this was written for fellow pilgrims, people who recognize that they're in some stage of personal evolution where they're where they're where they're growing but they they don't know what how to frame the questions that are that are bothering them hmm. that are just sort of haunting uh, haunting them as they're sort of just trying to struggle through who am I who am I becoming why does this matter and I, and I think that's what I desire hmm. is that this will give people language that's the echo that I want to sort of resonate with that all of us have is that let me give you language because I get it. You're not alone. You're not the first nor the last person to wrestle. And that's what I want it to be, just a companion. Just, listen, I, I, I don't have a lot of answers, but I know which direction we need to be walking in. And I know, I, I can give you the tools. Um, and, and what I mean by tools is I can give you the, the, the handles that's help you take the steps that you figure out. And that, and that's, I think that's my desire for the whole thing. Is, um, it, it's, it's put together in such a way that it's, it's not big chunk reading. It's pieces of reflection um, that sometimes you need to read two, three, four, five times, just because I, I didn't make it easy. I didn't make it. Here's four lines of things for you to do, right? It's you might read it the first time and go, wait, what? And be bothered by the language, uh, and not really know why it bothers you or stirs something up in you, because it's made to give you a space of reflection. I think if I were to steal one word that you've, as my own journey of reading the book, the word companion, hmm. it really is like a friend. <laughs> the book, and I've never described a book as a friend before. Uh, it is, and it does that imagery of walking together in an unknown place, but yet it looks familiar. Yeah. So well, I, in, in the version I sent to you, I don't know if uh, the forward was in it, mm -hmm. but I had my, my friend write the forward, and he actually uses uh, that language. Um, so the language that he uses, 
uh, if you want me to read it, yeah, I can read it to you. Please. So this is a forward written by my friend Scott Wall, and he says, he says this, Welcome, friend. There are so many books available to you, and yet here you sit holding this one, and that is no small matter. Because if Jonathan is to presume that his story, his thoughts, and his poetry are a pilgrim's account, then this meeting is a gathering of travelers. And from where you've been, you've found your way to this hearth of word and song. So come out of the shadows and into the wayfaring circle. Draw as close as you can. Because see, I've been on an adventure or two with this author. We've followed silent paths in the woods. We've walked beside placid seas. We've driven prairie roads under skies ablaze. And we've bared our souls around many a fire. And this is what I can tell you. If you don't call Jonathan friend yet, you will as these words mingle with the details of your own story. Because at his core, Jonathan is a traveling bard, coverer of miles, gathering lonely and weary souls along the way, lifting glass and song with all, and hearts along with them. Which is why he whispers to us, you were made for a tribe. And when you pause to wonder if he's told the truth, he reminds you that the greatest story we know calls us towards one another. And that in the intimacy of holy friends, we can find grace and the peace we need to speak truth to ourselves, making these words you'll read an invitation of sorts. Out beyond the safety you've known, perhaps, into the depths of feeling and emotion you've avoided, most certainly. But oh, more than these, Jonathan's words will swirl around your aching heart and regale you of mountains and valleys you may not have seen before, just rumors of a path that leads to life. And with a quiet chuckle, he whispers, don't worry, I'll go with you. So spare no courage, pilgrim, because the road stretches out ahead. But before you go on, rest a while. Turn these pages and catch your breath, remembering you're not alone. <laughs> wow. So that's the forward. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. That guy... Uh... <laughs> You're going to be okay, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> that is a beautiful yeah. forward. That really, really so beautiful prepares one yeah. to enter this. Because it's not a... Once again, I've never done an episode before dedicated yeah. to one book. Yeah. It's, and I felt compelled that this is this piece of literature that you've created mm. is worthy of a book. Yeah. And Scott? Scott yeah, Wall? Scott Wall. What, what a beautiful introduction to... Uh, what a wonderful work is! And yeah, I, I wish a man like him in anyone's life. He's the best friend, the mm -hmm. best friend in the world. Uh, you're called action. Where can people get the book? And uh, by the time we release this, yeah, the yeah, book yeah. will be out. Yeah, uh, you'll be able to get it at uh, our website. We'll, we'll give you all the links, so locally and internationally. Internationally, it will be available through Amazon, both paperback and Kindle. And locally, uh, we'll have uh, we'll, we'll make it we'll make it available. Um, locally in the Philippines. Yes, yeah. locally yeah. in the Philippines. Uh, it'll be at www.wherelightmeetsdarkness.com. Uh, okay. Where lights, light meets darkness.com. Yeah. We'll include all those links in links in the show notes, so it's yeah. make it very easy. Yeah. Certainly, I'm going to get a few copies. Yeah. And I'll be gifting those uh, towards the end of the year. I think it's a beautiful gift to give to the, to the right person. And I think, yeah. as you described. Uh, I kind of was smiling as you were describing the person who, anyone who's experienced any type of pain, uh, <laughs> yeah. well done, you qualify. Yes, you qualify. <laughs> this book can help you on that journey of healing. Yeah. Uh, if you want, as we end, I can read just a piece so people get a sense of uh, 
the kind of stuff that's in it. If you're Absolutely, game. yeah. What uh, chosen piece would you like to end with? Ooh, it's like poetry hour. Yeah, <laughs> this is exactly what it is. Uh, I'll do two pieces for you. So one that's kind of more sort of uh, legit poetry, and then one that's sort of more of the reflection style that's in here. Okay. All right. So the book is divided up into four sections. Uh, and the sections are, because my brain's not working, um, the four sections are sort of the geography of yes. my personal spiritual experience. So the woods, the sky, the oceans, and the fire. Yeah. And so all of the pieces are sort of collected yeah. uh, under those headings, and that's all explained in the book. But this particular piece is um, uh, in the woods section. Okay. And I might fall apart while reading this, but <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> okay, that's a beautiful way to end the interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, it is. Insecurity reigns and darkness triumphs when we become obsessed with our fears at the expense of our dreams. Your life is a magnificent creative act, and all the powers of hell are bent towards stealing that from you, that truth. You were formed with intention, and you are beautiful, you are powerful, you are loved. You are a work of art, and you were designed and crafted by the master artist. And regardless of what you find your, to be your life, his purpose is that your uniqueness shouts wonder. Can you imagine a life lived in this truth? What would it be like to be known for this kind of life? A life lived with sacred joy and a living awareness that is wonderful. Can you imagine a life without it? Without imagination fueled by he who is joy? Our hearts close, our passions die and our dreams move into shadow, and we wander a barren land. Awake, awake, awake. This is not the inheritance promised you. Come out of the shadow. Dream, live, love. Tear away the veil that silences the resonance of his life being sung by your heart. Let it ring, and thus spend your soul for that which is greater than you, a world searching for light. How often do we get caught in the deceptive web of accusation that in order to be loved, we must become someone else? And how often does this shadow rip away at the most intimate parts of our souls? And in the struggle, we hide away the most beautiful parts of who we are. Let me speak truth. We cannot fight our way to goodness with the hope it pays in love. For we are already loved. We just don't see it. Maybe the great burden of loneliness and shame we bear is a punishment of our own making. You were made in the image of God, and no one, not even you, can steal that from you. You are loved just because you are. And that is worth a party on the beach, dancing in the starlight. <laughs> wow. You have to, have to do an audio of a person. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Give us a second piece. Yeah, I'll give you one more piece. One more piece to, as we close. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read you the piece that I wrote for my wife. Ooh, okay. Oh, and now I really will fall apart. <laughs> mm. I remember that day, the one where I saw courage sitting there across the table with eyes that could see me as though I had never been seen. 
and a laugh that called me to life. We've journeyed long and far since that day. And what brings the years of light and life, of darkness and shadow, of joy and laughter, of sorrow and tears, what brings these years into focus is grace, both given and received. Grace, when, you've, when you have ceased striving or controlling or wanting to change or manipulate or make someone or something become what they are not. Grace, in the darkest nights when you find yourself swept along by love, when all that's left for you to do is receive. Grace, when you know you're loved, period, just as you are. Grace reframes the world and opens us to an entirely different way of experiencing life. There are other words for grace, and one of my favorites, gift. My years are marked by a gift, one who inspires me with goodness, loves me with friendship, encourages me with belief, overwhelms me with beauty, and anchors me with faith. Jesus gave me grace, a gift. And her name is Courage. Let's all sit here and cry for a while. Well, what a thank you, thank you, Jonathan. I know we have to wrap up. Um, we're in Bonifacio Global City at the moment, yeah. uh, which is about. 45 minutes, no traffic from yeah. where you're living. Yeah. And the longer we leave it, that 45 minutes will turn into some other number. <laughs> Far greater. Oh, yes. <laughs> and multiple factors. So I want to respect uh, uh, your limited time. But the good news is uh, we will do another interview. Yeah. Um, I think my team will demand it. I don't think they'll uh, we refuse to do any more interviews unless we see Jonathan in the calendar. Uh, I, I just want to thank you for making the time to... The journey to write this book, number one. Yeah. But more than that is the personal journey you've been on and your willingness to share. Mm-hmm. Your your self-realizations of the past you yeah. was going down not the right road. Mm-hmm. Even though uh, for a lot of people they said, yes, you're doing it right. The courage, mm-hmm. to use that word you used to describe mm-hmm. your wife, but the courage to make decisions. Uh, a lot of these decisions in private. No one, yeah. no one knows that those, these, you made these decisions to live a certain life. Yeah. But I know on behalf of my team, we feel that energy, that, that, the authenticity. Um, your goal is not to seek the worldly triumphs. <laughs> um, it's very clear that you're not motivated by worldly opinions. Yeah. But what motivates you is to help people on this, to use that imagery to help them get on the right path yeah. and to be that companion even though we have fear especially as men we have this fear of uh, accepting help yeah. um, but the courage to keep walking down this beautiful road called truth <laughs> as you end the book itself I, I, have a, I, have a, I have a very bad habit of love of when I open a book I love to jump okay let's jump in let's see yeah. how we close it I won't spoil that yeah. <laughs> Jonathan closes those, this book so beautifully mm. and uh, encourages it challenges all to, how do you say, we all have likeness within us. We're designed to be good. Yeah. Let's use that good to shine on where um, there is darkness in the world. Yeah. And the first place to start is with self, yeah, the, the, exactly. the wounds of the self. So as we close, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you. Your final, how would you like to close this interview? I won't say final advice because you don't give advice. <laughs> 
How would you like to close this I'll final? close it with this final piece. Okay, and, and we'll end with that. Yeah. And if you're listening, Jonathan's wife, thank you so much <laughs> for producing this man. I'm sure without you, we, we, this would not be possible. No, she is patient. <laughs> so Jonathan has his uh, manuscript printed out, and he's finding us the... Even the image, actually. I, Jonathan recently showed me the cover of the book. It's so beautiful. It really, uh, it's an image of a, of, a, of a person walking down a, a path. And, towards and, the light. And, and I don't oh, know if I showed this to you, but uh, look who made the back of the, of the book. Endorsed by myself. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> massaging my ego. <laughs> you know, I'm here to serve. <laughs> right. Final piece. <clears throat> Be still when the dark clouds of storm loom and the scent of rain is in the air. Be still when the wind gathers herself and begins to swirl around you prophetess of sorrow. Be still when the quiet envelops you in silence and notice that a storm comes. Be still and know when all have fled and the aloneness is stifling. Be still and know when courage has abandoned you and strength has vanished like figments of a dream. Be still and know when tears were all that remained and they have forsaken you. Be still and know when your soul aches for food you cannot find, a bread that hearkens of home, of love. Be still and know that I am enough, present, near, constant, love, life, hope, peace, joy, with you, now. Be still, know I am. Thank you, Jonathan. I, think, I can't think of a better way to end this interview. Hey, this is Mike again. Thank you so much for listening to the First World Philippines podcast. It would mean so much to me if you left a review, if you share this podcast. Somehow help us spread the word. We do this for free. All we ask in return, please consider sharing this with your friends, people who love the Philippines, and people who want to become successful in this country. This is their podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode.